Let's pray together. Father, we come and rest in you this morning. And we come singing together as a congregation to worship you. We lift up our voices. We raise our songs. We do all these things, not uh, to us, but to your name be the glory. And so we come and we worship you heartily, heartfully, with our hearts full, because you are worthy of all praise, all glory, all adoration. And so we come praising and worshiping you this morning, and we continue doing that as we turn to your word. And so we come and we pray in things that you, in your grace, you have, and in your mercy, you have bought people for yourself. And none of us come here as those who uh, are worthy, or none of us come here because we're all the same. You bought, bought people in grace and in your mercy that are all different. And yet we have different personalities, different jobs, different backgrounds, different experiences, and so on. Yet we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are part of the body of Christ. And so we thank you for your good and your great and your, your good plan that you have given. That is so infinitely wise and greater than we can even imagine. And so we thank you and we pray for your hand that you would work, Lord, this morning. That you would work in our hearts, you would work in our lives. And you know all those, you know what's going on in all those. And so we lift up our lives and our hearts and ourselves to you and pray that you would work in us in all of those things today. Give us grace in the midst of trials. Perhaps we're facing those. Give us grace in the midst of temptations. Perhaps we're facing those. Give us grace in the midst of spiritual warfare. And so we pray that your work would be done in us, O oh Lord, this morning. Help us to receive your word. Help us to come humbly. Help us to come ready to receive all of it. For your name's sake we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of James. We'll be continuing our study, walking through this letter. So James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. We'll be continuing in those verses this morning. Now suppose that you were given a gift from a dear friend. Now of course you expect that this gift is going to be something good. Perhaps even something really good. And something that you'll like, especially since your friend, they know you, and they know you well. And they're a good friend, right? And not just that, but you know that your friend, they love you. And your friend, they love to give you really good gifts. And so here you are, and you have this gift from your friend, and you are excited to see what it is. However... Let's suppose that at the same time, somehow, some way, you receive another gift as well. Now, this one is not at all from a friend. This one is, in fact, from your worst enemy. Now, you have good reason to believe that whatever is in that package could be a bomb for all you know, you know. It's not going to be good, and very likely it's not going to be for your good. Yet, as you're about to put it down, perhaps to dismiss it entirely, maybe even throw it away, you notice a slight tear on the package. And as you're putting it down, you see that through the tear, you see something that looks like money. Okay, now, in seeing that, that gets your attention and it gets your imagination going. You begin reasoning to yourself and saying, oh, well, you know, I know it's from my enemy, 
But, you know, maybe, maybe he's had a change of heart, you know. Maybe, you know, this is something really good in this gift that he's given me. Maybe it really is money in the package. And maybe it is good. Even though in the past, you know, this person has hated me and mistreated me and not given me one good thing. So at this point, sure, you know your friend. You know that your friend is good. But now, whatever that your enemy has given you is starting to draw you in. (laughs) And it sure is enticing to find out what is in that box. Well, this sets up for us a contrast between what we saw last week with James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, and what we'll see this morning in our verses here. Sin, it may well be enticing, but it is not any good. While what God gives is always good. So to see this, let's read our verses here, beginning with verse 16. May our good Father bless the reading of his good word this morning. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So these verses, they come to us very likely as something of a relief this morning. So after reading the verses, if you remember, if you were here last week or not, you can just look up in the verses before these, in verses 12 through 15. It would be easy after having walked through those, after having read those, to be rather low. (laughs) And if you haven't seen this already in the book of James at times, you know, James, he is known to do just that. You remember as we began the book of James, what is James like? He's like a bull, (laughs) right? And he just keeps charging right on, ready or not. Yet in saying all that, maybe you did get brought low as you saw that when you sin, there is absolutely no one else to blame except yourself. And the fact that you sin because you wanted to. Because you wanted that, whatever it was, more than God and his word at that moment. Well, in the midst of that and seeing all that, we need to say, maybe you were brought low, but that is good. (laughs) And we need that. We need times when the word of God, it does that to us. And so perhaps last week you did leave here rather low because these things will challenge us. The exhortations from the book of James, you can expect it that 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 is not the first time and it will not be the last time that you will be brought low in this book. It will correct you, it will challenge you, it will sanctify you and it will pierce you. And that is good. And so you might be brought low as you walk through the word of God. And if you are, that is not necessarily bad. You know, the valley is often a place of vision. You know, as one person, he put it this way, he said, to be low is to be high. And the broken heart 
is the healed heart. And if you remember, or even if you remember the story of David and Bathsheba, we saw something of that last week, didn't we? You know, after David's downward spiral of sin with Bathsheba, what was he? How was he? What was his demeanor? He was broken. He was humbled. And he was right to be all of that. It was not right for him at that time to be like, well, I'm just not like feeling it right now. I'm not like rejoicing and all encouraged and glad. He ought to be on his knees. He ought to be on his face before the living God. Which is what he was. Which is what we read and we read last week in Psalm 51. A broken and contrite heart. You will not despise, O God. And that's where David was. And maybe that's where you were. And I praise God if that was the case for you last week. But now, as we look at these verses, it's as though God is reaching down here and he is taking you and perhaps even taking your chin and he is gently tilting it upward again. He would not have you to ignore the downward spiral of sin that we saw last week, but he would have you see this morning the opposite of that and the alternative to that, the alternative to temptation and sin. And so it is then that we see here in these verses, in verses 16 through 17, him Tilting our heads upward, we see our incredibly good God. Our incredibly good God. And we, as we have walked through this letter already, we have seen again and again God's character magnified and lifted up for us to see and to rejoice at and even to glory over And so we have come to it again and again. And maybe, I don't know if you've ever read through the letter of James. And maybe at this point you're like, well, wow, I never thought James was this God-centered. Well, it is. And we have seen that again and again. Let me just walk through it so far. What we have seen, we saw back in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we saw that God is good even in the midst of trials and we saw that as you're going through those trials God is at work sanctifying you conforming you into the image of his son Jesus Christ he has purpose in the midst of the trials you're walking through and then in chapter 1 verse 5 through 8 we saw his kind and good generosity in answering Our prayer, our cry, perhaps, I need wisdom, O God, in the midst of these trials I'm walking through. And what was God like? Who gives generously to all without reproach. And then most recently in verses 12 through 15, we saw God's absolutely unimpeachable character blameless. And so it's on this last point then that we begin here in these verses. James, he wants us to not miss something. And so we are urged here, don't think that temptations are from God. Don't think that temptations are from God. Now, in hearing that, you aren't to say, okay, well, that's rather old hat by now, Pastor. (laughs) I think we heard that last week. You know, let's just kind of, you know, move on. I think I got that. Well, we don't need to respond that way. And why do we not need to respond that way? Because first, we shouldn't do that with the Word of God anyway. Like, are you going to come back to James and read it again? Like, if you read through the Bible once a year, you're going to come back. Well, I already read this. I got it. Well, no, we shouldn't do that. But also because of verse 16. So again, as I read it before, let me read it again. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
This is not a throwaway verse here. It's connecting the previous passage to this one and this passage to the previous one. (laughs) It's saying, don't err in your thinking by believing even for a moment that God tempts. He does not, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived by the enemy's gift That seems so enticing right now. It might look good. It might look like it's going to give you something good. But don't give in to it. Don't give in to sin. Don't go down that downward spiral. That terrible spiral of sin and death. Do not be deceived. And so he's writing this with urgency. On the one hand, in view of verses 12 through 15. But he's not stopping at just that, and we don't just stop at just that. He wants us to see that other gift, that first one that you were given. And more than that, he wants you to see the one behind the gift that was given. Don't just See that God does not tempt, but see and wonder at this. See God is marvelously, graciously, bountifully good. Not just the negative, but the positive as well. We're to know it, we're to believe it, and we're to live by it. And so you and I then are to know every good gift is From him, from God. So any good thing that we have is from God. Just think about that (laughs) for a moment. And we can know that any good thing that we have is from God. Because this verse. (laughs) So any bad thing like sin or evil or worldliness... That's not from God. You know, as the Puritan Matthew Henry, he wrote of this, these verses here, he wrote this. He said, We have nothing good but what we receive from God, as there is no evil or sin in us or done by us, but what is owing to ourselves. You understand that? If there's any sin, any evil going on in your life, The finger goes here, right? Not there. That's what he's saying. Then he continues, We must own God as the author of all the powers and perfections that are in the creature. That makes no sense to you. Any skills, any energy, any wisdom, any strength, any knowledge, that's you. Any of that that's good, it's from God. That's what he's saying. And the giver, continues, and the giver of all the benefits which we have and by those powers and perfections, all that's from him, but none of their darknesses, their imperfections, or their ill actions are to be charged on the Father of lights. So all the good that you have in your life, and think about it right now, is from God. All the evil, sin, worldliness is from you. So God, He is like the dear friend that we talked about a moment ago who knows us best and knows what we need most except He knows us better than anyone else. He knows you even better than you know yourself. You hardly know yourself at all, right? Compared to how much God knows you. So he knows what you need. And he knows what's good for you. And he tells us what that is in the word of God. And all that good, whatever it is, food on your table... 
every single day. Like when you go out from here, maybe you go to some restaurant and you're eating that. You bless God, right? Maybe, you know, you pray before you eat. Well, what you're doing is you're saying this food, I know trucks and farms and so on and waitresses and waiters came and got this to me, but it is from you. It is a good gift from you, oh God, and I bless you for it. That's what you're doing when you pray before you eat. You're saying all this is from you. Thank you, God. Or your job. Good from God. Or the strength you have in anything you do. From God. All the good that you do. The wisdom that you have that is good is from God. And so we see in these verses that all that come down from the Father of lights. So that is that it comes down from your creator, from the one that made you. And so all of this, everything, the whole universe is his, isn't it? So can you imagine what kind of good God can give? If he made all these things, how unfathomably great and good is our God. And we know something of the good that he gives now. But we can only imagine how wonderful and how wondrous it will be for his children in the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years to come in all eternity as we are glorying in our great and glorious God. Not to be compared. So in all this, we also need to see As we're seeing every good is coming down from him, we also need to see and know that he is not the cosmic killjoy. He is not the cosmic killjoy. He does not give you good gifts so you'll take them and go around then frowning at everybody. You know, like some Christians like to do. (laughs) You know, know, when you open a gift from someone, let's say, and you... You know, maybe at Christmas or your birthday or whatever, anniversary. And you express your thankfulness and delight over the gift. You know, like, thank you. This is amazing. You gave this to me. This is great. After you do that, have you ever heard anyone say, how dare you? You know, I didn't want you to actually be happy over this. I didn't want you to enjoy the gift. I'm offended that you would enjoy my good gift to you. We're no longer friends. I mean, have you ever heard anyone say that after you got a gift from them? Well, hopefully not. Well, why? Because that's absolutely ridiculous, right? That's not the, what you would do. Yet we so often act like that, right? We receive all of these good things from God and we receive it like an old grump rather than a delighted child, Right? We, we gather, we come to the service, and we just have all these grumpy faces on when God is calling us to be more like the delighted child. Amazed, dancing, happy, right? I mean, what does your child do when they get a gift they like? And so God, he would have you be the child rather than the grump. God is not the killjoy. We are. He is the source of infinite, unfathomable joy. And Jesus, if you remember in John 15, he wants his joy to be in us and our joy to be full in him. So God is not going around like saying, go be a bunch of grumps. He is saying, go and be the most joyful, happy people in all the world. As you go everywhere you go. Because you should be. We should be. And so James, he continues. And he says, with whom... As in God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
And so we also need to see in this, and we need to know that he, God, does not change. God does not change. The world changes, but God does not change. This means that we can bank everything that we have and we are upon God and His unchanging character. Every single day, in trials or out of trials, God does not change. In Malachi 3, 6, God, He magnifies His mercy and He reminds the people of Israel, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. So in view of God's unparalleled and unchanging goodness, what are we to do? What a wonder at his bountiful goodness towards us and making it personal, specifically his unbounding good or his bountiful goodness towards you. Consider, ponder, think about all the good that you have in your life. Like right now, think about those things, list them out in your mind, those good things that you have. None of the evil and sin and temptation, just the good that is from God then as you do that, further consider how good he has been, not just now, but from the moment that you came into this world until this day. Incredible goodness. Overwhelming goodness that God is showing us hour by hour, day by day, month after month, year after year. No one has been this good to you. God has been good to you. And even if you're an unbeliever here this morning, there is no one in your life that has been as good to you as God has. Even this very moment, Your being here at this service is a testimony to that. You are here and you're not somewhere else. Because God is good. He wants you here this morning to hear his word. Because his word is good. He wants you to hear these things. He wants you to wonder and glory and praise him this morning. And if you don't know Christ this morning, he wants you to hear his word and see that he loves you and he cares for you and he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to save you because he is good and merciful and gracious. He did not have to do that. You know, I've heard it many times and people pointing at God and saying, how could you, and so on. Well, I think I've mentioned this even on Sunday mornings. But the reality is, if in Genesis chapter 3, God had said, you know, no. No mercy. No grace. That would have been completely just and righteous and good. And so, if you're here and you don't know Christ this morning, do you see how bountifully good he has been towards you that he would send his son to come and die on the cross for your sins? That where you have been severed from God, he made the way. You couldn't make the way on your own. You couldn't ever gulp this gap, but he did that 
for you, not because you deserve it, not because you can earn it, but because he loves you, cares for you, and wanted to. And so he calls you then, even now that you would hear the word this morning and as a a call for you to turn away from yourself and turn to the one who made you for himself. To turn to his son who he sent into the world to save you. And so will you do that this morning? Turn to the one who came and call upon him who came to save you from your sin. And so wonder at his bountiful goodness towards you. And then in view of his goodness, also trust and rejoice in him. So James, he writes all of this in the midst of trials. This means that you can trust God even in the most trying of times. That God in his goodness... No matter what is happening in your life, even if you are in a concentration camp, you can raise up your hands and praise God for his incredible, bountiful goodness. Because he is still unchangingly, unwaveringly good. In trials, in sicknesses, in persecutions, All the good that you have is still from him. He is the good in those moments. He is the hope. He is the joy. He is the empowerment that you would endure all those things. Not because you can, but because he can. Because you're depending on the one who is greater than all. To give you grace through it all. And he does not change. You know, as I grow older, my body will not be able to do what it used to do. You know, I'm, if I make it to 70 or 60 or whatever, you know, I'm not going to be able to do certain things that I could do at 20 years old, right? And eventually, you know, I'll get older and it will be time. For me to go home to be with the Lord. My children scattered here in the service and downstairs. That's true of them too. They're young now. But one day, Lord willing, as they get older, if they get older, their bodies will get old. And they also will go and pass on. And I hope and I pray every single day that that would be, they would pass on to go beyond, go to go beyond, be with the Lord. But it won't just end with them, right? Then their children and their children's children and so on. But that's not just true of me, you know, and my children. That's true of you. And that's true of your children and their children and their children's children. Yet as the generations go on, as I go and you go and as they go, I and we can know right now something absolutely very, very clearly. And what is that? God does not change nor will he the same God that we are worshiping is the same God the coming generations either will or will not worship our God is good and he does not change and we can praise God for that as we look forward to our, with our children in the coming generations and say that there is still a gospel until Christ returns that will be proclaimed. Amen. 
And when we're there with the Lord in eternity, for those of us who know Christ, eons of time will go by. And guess what? He still will not change and does not change. Yet, you may be thinking, why might get bored? No. <laughs> His character will not cease to cause us to bow, to wonder, and to worship, and to be absolutely enthralled with Him forever. Amen. And so do you think that right now we have reason to trust and to rejoice in our great and good God this morning? And the answer is absolutely, always, forever, never-ending, unceasing, continually. Trust Him and rejoice in Him this morning in loss and trials and challenges and bodies that get old and hurt, get sick and die. Trust and rejoice in Him. And then in view of God's goodness as well, enjoy Him above His gifts. Enjoy Him above His gifts. So enjoy His gifts, yes, but don't get it confused. <laughs> That's where idolatry comes in, you know? <laughs> so when you begin taking whatever gift He has given you, and you're like, oh, I love this thing more than him. That's idolatry. We're to enjoy God more than his gifts. Even heaven. And the new earth. The new heavens and new earth. He gives you the gifts that you have. So that your joy would grow all the more in him seeing the gift behind or seeing the giver behind the gift. The gifts for the child of God are always to point us back to the giver. So when you sit down and eat after this, that's what's going on. God is calling you to lift up your eyes and rejoice in him. Hungry stomach, yes, but that's not where my hope is. That's not where my joy is. It's in you. And then you go and enjoy the food to the glory of God. And so we look at the gift and we see the source behind the gift and we say, oh, whatever it is that's before us, you're better, God. And you're always better. You're the highest and the best good of my soul. And I'll be saying that for, the rest, for all eternity. And so, enjoy ice cream like we did last Sunday night. Enjoy walks in the park. Enjoy the sunset. Enjoy learning. And learning much even. Enjoy swimming. And go and enjoy the Grand Canyon. Enjoy fishing. Enjoy playing. Enjoy laughing. God's given you laughing as well. Take joy in your spouse. Take joy in your children. And smile at God's goods, good gifts. Enjoying them to the glory of God. That's how you are to look at your, these good gifts. And that's how you are to enjoy every good and perfect gift from above. And how many they are. So how many ways you are being called to rejoice in God this morning. 10,000 reasons, right? So in view of that, James, he goes on from that saying all of this, all that about God's goodness to give an example now of God's goodness. 
God is great and good. Now let me give you an example of this. And so we have verse 18. And here is God's incredible goodness displayed. His incredible goodness displayed. And what an example it is, isn't it? He wants you to see just how good God is. And so we see here he gave us the gracious gift of spiritual life. And so it says here, of his own will, he brought us forth. And right away, you see God's goodness on display. God did that. It was of his own will that you know God at all. And so here we have this birth language again. Now you might be hearing me say that, like birth language again. What are you talking about? We haven't talked about birth at all this morning. Well, you're right. But James has been talking a bit about birth. He talked about it last week in our previous verses, didn't he? Do you remember that? Verses 12 through 15. So after sin is what? Birthed, when it is fully grown, verse 15, it brings forth death. And so James, at this point, right now, in contrast to that, and that kind of birth, God, he does not bring forth or birth death. What God brings forth in birth is, births is he gives life. He is the life giver. Genesis 1 through 2, right? Everything was good. God did that. All the life flourishing and abounding for his glory. And so it is with salvation. He gives regeneration. Or as we commonly talk about new birth, you must be born again. This is what Peter was talking about. That Mike, he read a moment ago in 1 Peter. What did he say there in 1.3? According to his great mercy. Again, God's goodness lifted high, right? Because of his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. That is what God does. His goodness on display for us to see. And this is also what John says and is talking about in John 1, 12 through 13. He says there, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. And if you're thinking all nice, nicely of yourself, well, I'm glad I received him. How good a person I am. Do you see how hard I work to believe in Jesus? Well, no. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's God and God alone who gives life to the dead. Which is you, before you knew Christ. You know, it's like when you were born. You know, I mean, what did you to get, do to be born in this world? Not a thing, right? I mean, you can't say you did anything. I mean, maybe after you came out, you did a lot of crying and screaming and all that. You did absolutely nothing to be born. And so it is for us to be born again. God did that. And seeing that in the word here, what we're seeing is God's goodness on display. He didn't have to, but he did it. In mercy, in love, as his goodness to show you. And he did this. 
by the word of truth, it says, or the gospel. That's what James is referring to there, and you can look up how that's the case in a number of passages, Ephesians 1.13, Colossians 1.5, 2 Timothy 2.15. But God, he, he uses his word to bring life by the powerful working of the Spirit of God. And we actually see this happen in a passage in Scripture where it zooms in really close to what happens in our hearts when God causes us to be born again. And we see it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, referencing Genesis 1 through 2, where creation did nothing to be created. God just did it in his pleasure. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Incredible. And so by His grace, what it's saying is that we see the gospel. God causes us to see the gospel in all of its beauty and wonder and goodness and gladly to run to Jesus Christ. Happily, gladly, joyfully, and it is wondrous. That is wondrous. And you know exactly what I mean if you're a believer here. Being born again. I mean, the world comes to life. You know, I remember when I became a Christian, and I mean this, and you know what I'm talking about, but the world came alive for the very first time. I remember going outside and seeing the trees like it was the first time I'd ever seen them before. Just amazed. You know, I'd go out and I would see people and I would, as I'm going to work or driving and I would see people with new eyes and I just look at them and I'm like, I don't know why now, but I just love you. <laughs> you, know? you know, God did something in me. I saw everything with new eyes because I was new. I remember even laying down at night in my bed and just crying with tears of joy and laughing and wondering how in the world could you do this, God? How could you and why would you save me? Being amazed. What a dread the gospel was before. But now the gospel was absolutely breathtaking. God did all that. And so we are to see that here this morning and all this. See what he did. See what God did. See God's goodness that he showered upon you if you know Christ here today. It was his will that you... You, like blank, put your name there. You be born to Him. He wants you to see this, to see His goodness on display this morning. He didn't have to. You deserve justice, but He gave you grace. His goodness. And then see what you are this morning. You know Christ, you are now alive. You are, as James says here in verse 18 at the end, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You are his children walking and going about in the world everywhere you go. You're the only people walking around that are alive in the world. First fruits and so then and seeing that see what you are to be you are to go and live that way you are those who are alive and living people walking among the dead and you are to go and share with them the word of truth the gospel of Jesus Christ 
And you do that not because you're the one who saves anyone, but because he is. And so that frees you up to go and preach to anyone and everyone, everywhere. It's not dependent on how you can persuade them, not on whether you're, you know, bumbling about or you're, you're messing up in your speech and you can't speak clearly. God has saved many that way. It is not dependent on you. So go and preach this good news of the good God who sent his son to save us. It doesn't matter where someone is politically, socially, religiously. God can and still does save. So don't look at that. Look at God and go and share the gospel. So go and be what you are. See his goodness here this morning because we have. (laughs) And as you see it, and as we have seen it here this morning, glory and rejoice as you ponder God's marvelous, gracious, and bountiful goodness towards you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we do come and we rejoice in your goodness this morning. We marvel at your goodness that you show us every day and you have shown us throughout our lives. And we marvel at your specific goodness demonstrated here and exampled here and how you in grace and mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope by the word of truth, the gospel. And so we worship and we trust you and I don't know where everyone is here this morning, and I know some here are going through trials and challenges at work with their own lives and losses. But may they see, may we all see, your goodness has not ceased. It has not stopped. It has not paused for even a moment. You are unchangingly, bountifully, marvelously good. And so may we look up this morning through the clouds, through the dark clouds of trials and temptations or whatever it be, and see your goodness today. And if there's anyone here who does not know Christ, may they not walk but run to the Savior of their souls, believe and be saved. May they repent and believe the gospel we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.